Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Morning. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be again. Second week of a series that we're doing. A lot of times here at Hill City, we teach the books of the Bible. We're, get, we're jumping into a small series, a couple of different weeks on Jesus and what he taught around sexuality. So if, if you're a guest, if you're Hill City folks, parents, let me talk to you. It's another one of those weeks that I'll use real words. We'll jump in. I won't do anything out of shock value or any, anything like that, but I just want you to know the topic today. One thing I will tell you, parents, if your kids are upper elementary or beyond, Nothing I will say today is not a conversation that you don't need to have with them. Because every word I will say, they will hear at school. I would rather us have the conversations, parents, than let a sixth grader have the conversation with our kid. Right? So we're going to engage. In saying that, it's easier for a church not to talk about this stuff. It is. It's way easier. We're going to jump in, and I'm going to try to jump in with as much... uh, honesty as I can, but also as much kindness. If you leave feeling shameful today, you've missed my heart. You've missed my heart. Um, In saying this, to jump into this topic, there are statements I may make. Here's Here's my ask of you. Please don't make assumptions based on one sentence I may say. Please know my heart. Um, this is just one of those things. He said this and then take it off. Please, please know I've really wrestled through this. Um, but give me grace as we talk. We understand with that? You understand what I'm saying there? Um, listen to the whole thing. Don't get hung up on one word. Let's pray together as we jump into this. Lord Jesus, we need you. If there's an area in our lives that we need you and we need to hear your words, it's around sexuality. As we engage this today, give me wisdom, give me truth, give me compassion. As we hear today, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive. I pray that evil has no place here. Evil that would bind us to shame and contempt for ourselves and for one another. May evil be out of this building. And may we open to the kind words of the gospel that you have for us, even around the area of sexuality. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm convinced that the greatest area of shame in the lives of people, not just in the church, but even outside of the church, is sexuality. Emily and I were talking with uh, an adult woman in our church, mom. Here's what she said, quote, For my life, sexual brokenness has been the source of my greatest shame. And the more I talk to people, the more I'm, I'm allowed, and you all allow me to sit across from you and hear your stories and, and work alongside you, the more I've come to learn that as Christians especially, we are bound to shame around our sexuality, around our sexual struggles, our brokenness. We're bound to misinformation because of some of the things that have been said in the church. And that shame is killing us. It's keeping us bound in secrecy and isolation, the very things that drive more bad behavior. We have got to talk about it as a church. We've got to talk about it together. Spouses, small groups, city groups, we must talk about this if we are going to begin to break the chains of shame. God 
loves sex. Anyone with me today? God loves sex. He loves arousal. He loves delight for one another. He created it. Evil hates what God loves. So if evil is going to get us bound to shame and and to get us off of pursuing Christ, what's he going to attack? The very thing that God loves and delights in. What God has named good and beautiful, evil wants to mar and to bring shame around it. And the church, and, and the, as the church has tried to wrestle with this, I, I feel at times we've, we've made the wrong enemy. We've made the enemy desire. Desire is not the enemy. He'll see, like, you are created with desire from God, and that is good. We are people of desire. Desire is not the enemy. One of the things we see in the church is people trying to control their battle with lust and sexual sin and praying away desire. Do we want a church full of people that are numb to desire? No. God has named desire good. God has named sex good. We must name that. Now, the twist of desire is lust. We got into this last week. Let me read Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. This is what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here's what we said last week, a quick review. Last week was what is lust and trying to understand it. We said last week that lust is is an issue for every one of us. And lust does not have to just be sexual. It can be lust, a twisted desire for anything. Here's how we define lust, a consuming desire. A desire that overtakes us, that consumes us. Good desire switches to lust when it becomes a demand. I must have this. When we start taking as opposed to giving, it becomes lust. When we talked about sexual lust, kind of understanding what is the balance of like good, healthy desire and when does it turn to lust. Here's what we said last week. Lust is impersonal. Healthy desire is personal. It's about connection with another human being. Lust is impersonal. It removes humanity and makes someone an object. Here's the illustration in a guy's locker room. Hey, did you see that? Talking about a woman. To take a beautiful creation of God, Eve, and change the wording to that. It's impersonal. And then the other issue with lust, we said it's impersonal and it's out of balance. It is one thing to name beauty and to see beauty. It's another thing to be consumed by that where I have to have it. To move from just naming beauty to consumption of someone, it's out of balance. And Jesus invites us into this. In this passage, Jesus is is talking, it's Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching And his audience is the religious leadership of Israel who believe they're above everyone. And Jesus lays out this several things. You have heard that it was said this, what the religious teachers say, but I say this. And so Jesus, right before this lust passage, hits about anger and hate. And he says, you've heard it said, don't murder. I say, if you hate one another, you have murdered. 
You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. That's what it means to follow God's design for sex. Jesus says, no, no, no. I say, if you have lust, you've already committed adultery. Jesus is teaching these self-righteous Pharisees that they are murderers and adulterers. And we said that last week. We are murderers and adulterers. And Jesus invites us to, to confess that. Because confessing that is the, the first step in a new way of living. Here's what we said last week as we jump in. You can't heal from what you won't name. You can't. You cannot heal from what you will not name. So how do we begin to change Last week was, what is lust? This week, and I hope to make it as practical as I can, how do we begin to step into wholeness and healing? How do we begin to change? Now, the church for years has tried to address the issue with lust and to teach us how to change. And I don't know if many of you grew up in the generation I do, that was the purity movement, the true love waits movement. Anyone grow up in that kind of generation of church? And the way, and I believe the intent was good, the method was wrong. See, see, here is the approach to lust for years. Guys, you want to fight lust? Get a rubber band on your wrist, and every time you're tempted, or every time you look at a woman lustfully, what are you supposed to do? That'll fight lust. And for years, we walked around with big whelps on our wrist, but completely bound to lust. Here was another attempt to fight lust. Uh, you, you go to the men's conference, and the pastors, men, how could you? Anyone been at that one? How could you? Lust after woman. How could you marry men, have your beautiful wife in the next room, and you look at pornography? How could you? The result is every man says, well, I am a failure, thus keeping us bound. Accountability groups. Let's get a group of men. Now, side note here. Women, I'm try, I'm gonna, I've tried to get references to, for you, but I, I come at from a man's point of view, so I apologize. I'm, I'm trying to work in some, some both gender stuff here. Accountability groups, men together. Did you look lustful? Yeah, I did. Okay, well, don't do that. Okay, I won't. Okay, next week. Hey, anyone look at point? Yeah, I did. Okay. And you're in the same crown building group for 14 years, and you're having the same conversation. Anyone been part of that group? Rules. Youth group culture. Rules around what to wear all over the place. Swimsuits, certain ones that are off limits, certain ones that are okay. Brad will tell you this. His, uh, his church camp that he went to, the, the girls were not allowed to wear jeans. The boys had to wear jeans. Yeah. The, the, the girls had to wear these, like, I don't, he had a name for them. I can't remember what they are. These long skirt things that come all the way to here. Measuring the length of shorts. <laughs> Trying to make rules to control. Again, were the intentions good? Yes. Did they work? No. Talking to one of, our, one of our staff members who 
was in a Christian ministry that took a mission trip to the beach. Okay, we just, you know, where all the evil happens, on the beach. And the women, of course, the girls had all kinds of rules on what they could and couldn't wear. Hear this, the boys were not allowed to wear sunglasses. Because if they have sunglasses on, they may look. Were the intentions good? Yes. Did that work? No. It doesn't. Right? Girl, and one of the, women have been made to feel the burden of curing men's lust. Women, I'm a, I apologize for that. That is not your job. That is not your job. Rules around how tight, how short. Now, are there ways to dress modest? Sure. Hearing uh, some, one of our college students talk about going to a, a church environment where they taught them how to dress to keep men from stumbling. And of course, you, you'd expect the tight clothes conversation. Here was the other conversation. Girls, you're not allowed to wear really baggy clothes either. Because if your shirt comes down past your shorts, which is kind of a style a lot of the girls do now, guys will think you don't have pants on and they'll lust. What? What's my point? The, the church has tried to fight lust, but our battle has been wrong because all we focused on is the action, right? If we can stop the action, if we can stop temptation, if we can stop this, we can fight lust and cure lust. It's the wrong fight. It is the wrong fight. The action, the result, the issue is not the issue. It is way much deeper than that. So here's what lust does and, say, and all these rules do, a culture of rules, is it creates a culture of shame. And shame is one of the main drivers of sexual brokenness. Shame, hating myself, hating my sexual struggles, hating my desire, hating my body. We have taught men and women in the church to hate themselves. The result is shame. Shame keeps us secret, keeps us in hiding, and keeps us bound to sexual addiction and sexual struggles. If we are going to fight lust, we must understand that the issue is not the issue, that the issue is much deeper. See, lust and its byproducts Give us something we are looking for. I want you to hear this. Lust is not about sex. It's byproducts, fantasy, you know, living in this, this, this fantasy world, pornography, habitual masturbation. It's not about sex. It's something way deeper. It's about power. It's about control. Lust gives us something we are looking for. It has nothing to do, say nothing, has very little to do with sex. It gives us something we are looking for. I can get what I want with no effort. Okay? We as humans are created for deep, intimate relationships, connections, emotional connection, physical connection. That desire is good. What lust and all of its byproducts do, it gives me a sense of that without any risk. 
So if I'm a young 21-year-old woman, I can get through lust and through pornography a sense of being accepted. But to bear, to risk stepping into a good, meaningful relationship and connection with someone of the opposite sex means that I may get hurt. I have to risk something. See, pornography, lust, all these things, it gives us something we, we are looking for at a safe distance where I have control. So let me give you an example of this. Let's take a married man who approaches his wife at bedtime for sex. And she says, no, honey, I'm tired. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want to. And then an hour later, that man finds himself in another room looking at pornography. That man's struggle really has nothing to do with sex. That man's struggle has to do with he is hurt. He is angry. He doesn't know how to handle it. He doesn't know how to deal with it. And this, re- this rejection that he perceives as rejection from his spouse causes shame. She doesn't love me. I'm not enough. Or causes anger. Remember we talked about that last week. Lust and hate, lust and anger. I deserve this. It causes shame. It causes anger. It causes all these deep things. And this guy's feeling it. He's feeling the weight of all these different emotions. He doesn't know how to handle it. And so he needs something to fix that, to medicate that. Guess what will do it? The perfect woman on the screen who's totally into him. See, his struggle with the computer late at night has nothing to do with his desire for sex. It has to do with his hurt and his disappointment and his loss, his need for power and control. Men, one of the things we must do individually and together as a culture is name our entitlement and our need for power over women is killing our culture. From CEOs to sports people to pastors all across the board, men's desire to have control and power over women we must confess of and repent individually and as a whole. Let's take a married woman who finds herself at home while her husband is at work struggling with pornography or sexual fantasy or something like that. It has nothing to do with her desire for intimacy. It has to do with her needing acceptance and approval and not feeling like she has that from her husband or not being to risk being vulnerable enough to receive that to be able to step into her own fantasy and get a sense of that on her own. Lust has very little to do with sex, and it has way more to do with what's going on in our heart. Okay, so Jesus is inviting us to look at lust. He goes on in verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. Okay, so Jesus teaches on lust. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say if you have lust, you've done the same thing. He goes on to say, if your right eye causes you sin, if your right hand causes you sin, gouge it out, cut it off. Okay, so after the gathering, we have a saw that's right out in the hallway. 
Is that what Jesus wants us to do? Actually, in my research, I realized about two or three hundred years after this, one of the, one of the early church leaders um, castrated himself in his young age to fight lust. Later as an adult to come back and say that probably wasn't the way that Jesus meant to handle that situation. Jesus is, is being hyperbolic here, but he's making a point to self-righteous Pharisees who condemn everyone else and think they're above. He says, listen, you self-righteous Pharisees are adulterers and murderers, and we've got to deal with this. So what we can't do in the church is say, oh, everyone has lust, of course, the, 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 you know, trying to put the rubber man in the counter, those are, those are all bad, and let's just be lustful people. Can we do that? No, we can't. We must fight. We must fight. How? How do we fight lust in a way that actually gets us down the path? And in saying this, here's what you have to know. Till the day you die, you will be a lustful, adulterous person. You will. The goal is, as I'm transformed by Christ, I keep growing in that and becoming more and more whole in what it means to be human in the way God has designed. I have three things, three points on how to fight lust. Number one, break the silence. Hear me, you will not heal from what you cannot name. You will not heal from what you cannot name. If you are a human, you have lust. We know that. We know that. If you don't, you're the only one besides Jesus unaffected by the fall. You have lust. Why can't we name that in a church? Yes, I struggle. You hating yourself, you shaming, hating your sexual sin does not work. It actually keeps you bound more. The first thing you have to do is talk. Name it. I'm struggling. You cannot heal from what you will not name. And hear me, at Hill City, we have help for you. We have help for us all. All across our church, we have men and women on a journey facing their sexual brokenness. Not running and hiding from it, not wishing it wasn't there, not shaming and hating themselves, but actually turning to face it. We must break the silence. One of the flaws in the church is we've, I think, been taught at times to use the Bible as a band-aid and say, yeah, I struggle with this, but Philippians 4.13, and throw it out there. Don't quote me a Bible verse because you're unwilling to name and engage your brokenness. You hear me on that? We must name it. We must step into it. We must have city groups where we get together and say, I am struggling. I need help. I have got to step into this. Break the silence. At the end of the gathering, we'll be down here. If you have questions, if you want to wrestle things, if you have questions about this, email me. We will get you help. We will get you help. Break the silence. Number two, and this is the main, this is really I want to hit. If we want to break our struggle with lust and its byproducts, we must wrestle with the heart. If you don't hear anything else of what I say today, I want you to hear this. Your battle with lust is not about sex. It's about the deeper problems of your heart. 
what's going on deeper. And this has been one of the things we're trying to change here because, again, the church has just had a problem-centered approach to breaking sexual brokenness. Let's just fix this problem. The problem's not the problem. The problem's deeper. Underneath your brokenness, your things on the outside, are all kinds of hurt, pain, trauma, that when we go unaddressed, when they go unaddressed, keep us trapped in an endless cycle of brokenness. We must wrestle with the heart. Here's what I mean by that, okay? So if you come to us at Hill City and you say, hey, I'm struggling with pornography, we will not say, okay, well, we need to do this, 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 and this, and this, and here's a bunch of things that'll fix that. Now, do you need to get some accountability software on your computer? Yeah. You need to do some things to, to limit, sure. But that will not fix it. What we will do is we will get you on a journey to wrestle with your heart. So if you look at unwanted sexual behavior, which whatever it is, whether that's hooking up, whether that's lust, whether that's pornography, whatever unwanted sexual behavior, here's what you have to understand, the drivers to that. Okay, so I want you to picture two rivers. You have a river over here flooding in to this main river, and you have a river over here flooding in. So two rivers coming together. Got, you got the image in your mind? Picture it, two rivers coming together. These two rivers are the drivers of your sexual brokenness. The, the floodgates of where these come together is your sexual brokenness. Let's look at what these rivers are. Here's the first river, if you're taking notes. It's wounds of the past. One of the first drivers of your unwanted sexual behavior is wounds from the past. What do I mean by that? Your family dynamic. Growing up in a place where you were powerless one of the main drivers of sexual behavior is powerlessness. Matter of fact, in, in a study, there's a book that all of you need to read. It's called Unwanted by Jay Stringer. Please write that down and read it. It's one of the best books I've heard on this. He did a study. Men that were addicted to pornography tended to come from families where their father was strict and controlling. Remember I said, pornography is not about sex, it's about power. So a, a boy growing up in a dynamic where the father's just pounds in them, what do they have? No control, no power. What gives them a sense of that? Pornography. Your past, your family dynamic, your trauma that you've been through. Whether that's a capital T trauma or a lowercase t trauma. Your past drives this. Abuse. Again, in abuse, it's a sense of being powerless. So no wonder people that have been through abuse go to sexual brokenness to handle that because it gives them a sense of power. It's wounds from the past. Here, here's a, a, a psychologist, Richard Rohr, said this. If we don't transform our pain, the past, we will almost assuredly transmit it. If we don't transform the past, it'll just come out in how we live our lives and we'll pass it on to the next generation. If we want to fight our lust, our sexual brokenness, we have to face the past, which is scary, which hurts. It is so much easier to numb the pain than to face it. But what you've got to see 
is your struggles with lust and pornography and masturbation are simply trying to numb the pain of your past. We can, alcohol, Netflix, whatever it is, it's numbing pain. So one river is the past. Here's the other river that, that flows into our lust. It's our current reality. Let me list a few things for you. Deprivation, being sleep deprived. Talking, Emily and I are talking to a, a woman that has children. Her main struggle with pornography didn't happen until she had children and didn't have sleep. And pornography became a medication to her exhaustion. Deprivation is a driver. This is a big one, especially for men. Lack of purpose. If you look at men that struggle with pornography, they are five times more likely to say, I do not feel I have a purpose for my life than men who didn't. Lack of purpose. One of the reasons at Hill City, we say you are called and you have a calling, you have something like get involved in the mission because that gives you a purpose and lack of purpose one of the main drivers to sexual brokenness. A bored man is a dangerous man. Lack of purpose. Here's a big one, anger. When you're angry, you turn to lust to deal with it. Addressing your anger. Another current reality, maybe one of the biggest, shame. So let me make, try to understand. So shame is this feeling that I am unlovable. I am unwanted. I am broken. I am dirty. When we feel shameful, we become depleted. We need something to pick us back up. We need a shot of dopamine. Guess what will give us a shot of dopamine? Sexual sin or alcohol or anything. That's why hating yourself doesn't work. It actually makes it worse. It's a quote from Unwanted. Your hatred of your sexual, sexual sin is the very thing keeping you bound to it. Shame is one of the biggest drivers of sexual sin. And especially in the church, you've been taught, many of you, to hate yourself. Now, do we need to have a healthy hatred of sin? Yeah, of course we do. But what that often turns to, especially with sexuality, is a hatred for ourselves. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, not your hatred of yourself that leads to repentance. The way you fight sexual brokenness is to look at the past and be curious about the past. How did my family dynamic shape me? How did this situation that happened in college shape me? To look at the past. To look at your current reality and be curious. Man, every time I struggle with pornography, it's when I've worked 80 hours a week. Look at your current reality. To be curious about it. This is a, another quote from Unwanted. This is, this is awesome. One evening of deliberate curiosity, asking questions for your sexual fantasies will take you further into transformation than the thousand nights of prayerful despair. Leave that up there. That is so good. Anyone like me laid in bed for years, God, why am I like this? Anyone? Why, why do I struggle? Why? I just want to stop. Here's what he says. One evening of asking, why? Let's look at this with kindness. Is better than a thousand nights of hating yourself. 
being curious. You can't repent of what is unknown. And your sexual brokenness is out here. It's the drivers to it that we've got to begin to pull up. Can't repent of what you don't know. Can you face your story? Can you face your past? Can you name the abuse that happened to you? Can you name the family dynamic you grew up in? A family maybe with no emotional connection whatsoever. No affection, no delight for you. But you found it here. Can you name that? Can you face it? Can you begin to wrestle with the current drivers that could be driving you to this? Curiosity will get you further than hating yourself. It's going to fight it. Got to break the silence. Got to wrestle with the heart. And lastly, Love. Love is the cure for lust. This one thing, I, this is a section you got to make sure and hear me closely. Okay? If you want to see transformation in your life, you got to address the past and the current reality, but you must begin to step into love, connection. Jesus was asked, What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Falling in love with Jesus, your, what you are looking for is found in Christ. Okay? Your desires are good, but desire turns to lust when it goes crazy, when it goes mad, and ultimately everything I'm desiring for is found in Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And this is the next step. Love others of your, as yourself. The cure to lust is love. Love of God and love of one another. Ironically, the battle for lust comes in beauty, in connection with one another. See, loneliness, disconnection is a huge driver. When we are lusting, when we're looking at porn, when we're doing whatever, what we are desiring is connection with people. What shame does is it isolates us. It keeps us from connection with people. And we're further entrapped. The way we step into fighting lust, we wrestle with the heart, and then we step into connection and love. Deep, meaningful friendships, connections. Here's what a psychologist, Dan Allender, said. It is tragic that many men attempt to deal with lust by avoiding rich, Intimate, honorable relationships with women. They believe that distance ensures safety. In fact, avoidance only seems to increase private fantasies. The only real safety net is love. So in an attempt to fight lust, and I'm going to talk men here, many men distance themselves from women. They distance I don't want to have any connection. A lot of them distance themselves from the, their wife even because they feel so shameful about themselves. Your desire is for connection. So when you distance yourself, you still have a need for connection. But because you're not close to anyone, you're going to get that now from lust. The way to fight lust, this is crazy, is to step into good, healthy connections with one another. So I have a great group of friends 
a lot of the pastors here at this church, we have a group of friends. Our wives are beautiful. And sometimes we kind of sit around like, those guys like, yep, <laughs> we, we did that. Our wives are beautiful. I don't lust after my friend's wives. You know why? I know them. I know them. I know their stories. I know their hearts. I know their husbands. See, when we form deep, healthy connections, healthy connections, it's love. And in fighting lust, it's good, healthy connections with one another, honorable connections with one another. Now, in saying that, this is where you got to hear me. If you're married, you don't need to have a better connection with someone than you have with your spouse. Okay? You don't need to go to the opposite sex and bare your soul. You definitely don't need to go to an opposite sex and talk about the problems in your marriage. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking healthy, good friendships, good connections. is how we begin to transform our lust. It's very difficult to lust after someone that you love and know. But if we keep the opposite sex way over there in an attempt to fight lust, they become less than human. We're disconnected. Now lust overtakes us. So, men, you, you see a beautiful woman. Name the beauty. Yeah, she's beautiful. Immediately, name the beauty of the Lord Jesus. God, you are good. Now, step into healthy connection with your spouse, with other people. What doesn't work is seeing beauty, oh, why am I like this, gosh, oh, and then disconnecting yourself from one another. You'll stay bound to it. Women, you find a man that's intriguing, that intrigues you. Name that. Wow, he's a gifted man. He's... Name the beauty of your creator. Let it go to Jesus, and then step into meaningful, healthy connections. And if you start to feel the pull of the lust with those, you name it, we, right? we got to break the silence. We've got to wrestle with the heart. And we have to step into deep, good, healthy connections. Because what we're desiring is not sex. It's connection to God and to others. Illustration to, to, to wrap this up. Anyone tried to diet before and, and have this strict meal plan? Then you're driving home and Andy's is on the way. And so you've made this commitment, I'm going to eat healthy. And you're driving home, and Andy's is just like, Daniel, here I am, right? It's just drawing us. Okay? In that moment, how do we handle this? We just pull in and get Andy's, right? That's how we handle it. No, in this moment, we see that, and we see that pull of Andy's. Now, here's what I don't do. Oh, my gosh, why am I like this? I hate this. I hate myself. I don't, anyone do that? No. We say, okay, Andy's is good, and there's a time for Andy's, but it's not now. And we go home and we feast on what is good and healthy, right? So when we're desiring Andy's, it's not just ice cream we need. We need nourishment. We need food. It's the same with lust. I feel a pull towards lust. I name the desire. Okay, I feel that. Then I step into healthy connection. That's how we begin to fight it. Break the silence, wrestle with the heart, step into deep, healthy 
friendships and connections with members of the same sex and opposite sex. As we wrap this up, Hill City Church, we must keep fighting. We must keep fighting. Understand that the reason we fight is because Jesus is the hero. Right? Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and did not lust. Just perfectly loved people. And Jesus is our hero. And because Jesus did, and we are now hidden in Christ, now I can step into fighting my lust. Romans 8.1 as we close. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done, for Jesus has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. So Jesus came, conquered sin. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So here's how we begin to fight sexual brokenness. We gotta name it, we gotta name it in the gospel. I am broken, Jesus wasn't. Because Jesus died for me, my faith is in him, I am now a man who is lustful and angry but is not condemned, right? And in that face of, as I see that Jesus loves me in the midst of my brokenness, now I can step in in his power to begin to fight. If the gospel is true, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If that is true, what do I have to hide? Nothing. Nothing. Because it's not based on me. And when I finally see that, that I am not condemned, even in the midst of my sexual brokenness, the gospel will hopefully propel me to step out and begin engaging my story. So that woman at the very beginning of my sermon, her quote was, for my life, sexual brokenness has been my source of biggest shame. Over the past year or two, she's begun to step into healing because she named it. Here's the second part of this quote. So for my life, sexual brokenness has been the source of my biggest shame. Therefore, this journey of healing has been the greatest level of transformation I've ever seen. Hill City Church, can we step out of the silence? Can we address the heart and step into good, healthy, meaningful connections? I hope in our city groups this week we wrestle a lot with this. Let's pray together.